0: Tim Graham and Friends is brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. CTBK, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic, joined with my usual co hosts Matthew Fairburn, also of The Athletic. And Jonah Bronstein from Bronstein Global Solutions joined this day and a big day, perhaps, in Saber's history by at Saber's prospects, Chris Baker. It's been a while since we've had our old friend on the show. Chris, thanks for doing this. Tim, Matt, Jonah. Hello. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Happy UPL Day. Um, Yep. He's going to start tonight against the Bruins. I guess before we get started, we're going to talk about Don Granato, and we'll talk about whatever. I'm sure we'll get into some Jack Eichel. We'll get into Sam Sam Reinhardt. We'll get into your thoughts on the trade deadline, since this is the first time we've spoken to you since then. Um, But let's talk about UPL, because he is starting tonight, and uh, fans have been waiting for this for a while, and I know you have too.
1: Uh, What are your thoughts? Well, it's definitely coming earlier than planned. Um, you know, I think if you go back and you look at what the Sabres wanted to do with him, you know, a lot of these NHL teams now, they do studies on, you know, historical prospect development to understand the number of minutes or number of pro games a prospect needs to go through at the AHL level or sometimes the coast league level when you're a goalie. And, you know, he's nowhere near that. If you looked at those minutes, it would have really required him to be in Rochester again next year before this day would have come. So it's a little early, I think, per the plan. But sometimes you have to deviate from your plan when the, congi- when the conditions mandate it. So, you know, they're going to throw him in there. And, and the hope is that, you know, he's a goalie that historically performs really well when guys in front of him do their jobs. So I think even though this is a young group, and I mean, you look at, you know, Will Borgen last night, so Thursday night Sabres game, I think Will Borgen at 24 was one of the older elder statesmen, defensemen that were on the roster. It's a young group, but I think they know that it's a big, it's a big moment for the young goaltender, and they have to tighten it up and play well in front of them. Um, and that's kind of the hope here. I think it is early, though, for him. Um, but at the same time, we'll see. It's a good opportunity for the Sabres development staff to see what the kid's made of, and we'll, they'll, they'll go from there.
0: For those who might not be. Uh so voracious in their fandom of the Sabres that they've really given UPL a good look um, or followed what he's been doing in Rochester. What's your thumbnail assessment of where he is right now and just how you think his, uh, his future is shaping up.
1: Big goalie, big body. It's, it's that's the prototype for the NHL. Now you don't see a lot of five six foot guys drafted, you know, so for him, you know, he is the plan right now. And I think the last time that I joined the Tim Graham and Friends show, you guys call the podcast, I like to call it a show. Um, we talked about Agreed. what's the plan in net, right? So, you know, I think he was 54th overall a couple of years ago, did a tour of duty in Finland after, uh, you know, and then came over here in the OHL, OHL Player of the Year. He has a, he has a track record of performing. So, you know, he's not this twitchy, ultra-fast goalie. He does read the play well, you know, and I think that's part of that 10,000 hours that, you know, requires to, to make it to the NHL is is understanding all these patterns that come at you when guys under the zone. There is an adjustment when you come over from Europe. Things happen quicker in the North American game. I think he successfully made that adjustment. Um, this was a goalie that had double hip surgery before the 2019-20 season. So it kind of delayed his entry went down to Cincinnati in the Coast League, really was just a high performer down there. Now, he hasn't set the world on fire statistically in Rochester, and I think that's what a lot of people will see if you're judging him by his numbers. When you watch him play, though, he reads the play well. He tracks the the puck all the way in from the shooter stick into his body. He does a good job there. I think that what you're going to see, though, if Boston has done some scouting work on him, look for some shots going high glove on Lukanen tonight. I think that's where these teams are going to attack um that's where he's susceptible but he's not this fast twitchy acrobatic guy he's not Pekka Rene. he's a little more methodical um he's an intelligent player when you talk to the saber staff they talk about how he's got the right mental outlook he'll understand how to stay the course so if this is a goalie that doesn't have a good outing tonight i think he's one that knows he can keep his highs low and his lows high stay the course this isn't going to be deleterious to his development if he has a bad game tonight So I I focus on still the big picture with him. This is not his arrival. This shouldn't be seen as his arrival. This is seen as um, he's here because the conditions warranted him coming up and plugging a hole.
2: I was just about to ask the perception will probably be from the outside. This guy's starting, he's arrived. This is the moment, but you said this is a little bit early. What do you think the next couple of years look like for him? realistically you know what what should the path that they take with him look like and then how does the rest of the net come together around him are they do you build the net around him do you make him a secondary piece how, how do you kind of view that
1: so when you go back to be, before this season started okay they wanted Jonas Johansson to be the guy that they could ink to a two-year contract in order to expose Johansson to Seattle in the expansion draft And I think through those negotiations, I can't confirm this, but we've been here before, you know, Johansson's been around for a while. I think his agent knows that it was kind of make or break for him where he perceived leverage, where that second year had to be NHL guaranteed salary. Sabres weren't prepared to give that to him. So then they had to pivot. They bring in Dustin Tokarski, give him a two-year deal. So the idea would be Tokarski, Lukanen this year in Rochester have the veteran paired with the young guy in Lukanen really rely on Lukanen and Takarski's there to guide his development and also share the net at the AHL level. Then you expose Takarski. Now Takarski, it turns out, is a a more viable NHL backup than Carter Hutton. Carter Hutton, you look at him, he makes everything look hard. He's always out of of position, right? But I I don't want to get away, I'll go down a tangent if I start talking about Carter Hutton, okay? Carter Hutton's going to be a UFA, he's bye-bye. The and he's plan, 35. And he's 35, right? So, I mean, he's back to being really what should be probably an AHL goalie. Carter Hutton, by the way, Mitch Corn did amazing work with him in their time in Nashville, and all that work seems it's gone. He's back to where he was, you know, eight years ago, but again, I digressed, so just shut me up there about Hutton. I think the plan, though, moving forward, I think Lukanen should be back in Rochester next year. And I think it should be with Tokarski. I think the plan that they wanted to institute this year should be the plan for next year, Resign Allmark because Allmark has proven to be a top 10, top 15 NHL number one. And you got to get a guy to play with Allmark next year. Maybe a guy who's 24, 25. Maybe he, you know, so he's got restricted free agency rights. You can keep his costs down a little bit. I look at like a Daniel Vladar in Boston who would have been an ideal trade deadline candidate in the Taylor Hall trade. Well, if you look at what Boston was going through, you know, they had Halak maybe a little dinged up, Tuka Rask a little dinged up, Jeremy Swayman, who they like, who was played at Maine last year. They weren't going to move him. It's pretty clear that maybe Vlader can be a guy expendable. Maybe you couldn't get him at the trade deadline. Maybe you can get him in the off season. I would like to see Allmark and a guy of that profile in Buffalo next year, Lukanen, let him keep building up those minutes, right? Malcolm Gladwell, outliers, 10,000 hours. Get your hours in the AHL. And then when you come up, when it is his arrival, he's more prepared.
2: Do you view him as a number one? Long. Yeah, Lukanen.
1: I do. Yeah, because at every level, he's proven to excel. As long as he's not hung out to dry. And I think that when you look at his stats, with the exception of a couple hiccups that he's had, I don't have his numbers in front of me. I was trying to bring them up, but I'm not that good at multitasking. You know, his numbers are comparable to what Allmark did. His first year, year and a half, when he came over from Sweden, another guy that came off a double hip surgery, by the way, some amazing parallels there between the two, except Lukainen, they just invested a much higher pick. But I do see Lukanen as a guy, I have no reason to think he's not a number one until his play tells you that he's not. When you draft a guy in the second round, it's implied that, you know, you don't see a lot of goalies taken in the first round. So when you, it's implied that he is a, a crucial part of your goaltending program moving forward.
3: Well, it, so why would you sign another goalie to back up Allmark next year? If you have Allmark as a one and Lucanen is your future one, why do you think they need that bridge? Uh, for Never XM, have enough NBA? goalies.
1: Yeah, you can never have enough goalies. I think creating competition is always healthy. It brings out the best in all your talents, and then you really know what you have, too. When you're, you know, I always looked at Ryan Miller when he was here. He was better when he had someone around pushing him. He wasn't good when he had, you know, Patrick Lulim carrying his bag for him. You know, when he had Enroth here performing well, when Enroth got the net, Ryan Miller's best games were after when Enroth played. And I think that you want to create competition in your system. You should always want to have an abundance of talent at every position. And that's always been a weakness as far as I'm concerned, except maybe when I had that three-headed monster with Baran, Norin and Miller, we're going back like 20 years, you know? So I'm, I want to buy time though, too, Jonah, for Lucanen to properly develop and allow the Sabres to stick to their plan with Lucanen. And that's, accruing those requisite hours to get to the NHL and be more viable when he's up there. He hasn't accrued those hours yet. And I think that's critical to properly developing a goaltender.
0: There are some fans out there that might be of the belief that, okay, so bring him up to the NHL trial by fire, or even in a backup role. What would that do to his development? Given his profile, you've been monitoring him. Nobody knows these guys better than you do. Um, what do you think that type of approach would do for his
1: development? In terms of just throwing him in trial by fire? Yeah. What are the risks?
0: And, and what, think, are the, what are the potential rewards?
1: I think his mental profile will allow him to handle both possible outcomes. Just his mental makeup and his approach to the game and how he makes things easy. He wants to get better. He wants to put the work in. I think he will see a success as just an extra motivator to know that he can do it and confirm his belief that he is an NHL player. If he has a negative outcome, I think it's gonna be confirmation of the work and the plan that's been put into place for him and make him be even more bought into the plan that the Sabres have shared with him about his development and accruing those hours. I don't think this is a mentally fragile prospect. I think that he knows where he's at. I think he understands his ability and he's ready to test it at this point, knowing himself, while he's excited, I do believe he knows that it's also maybe a little premature. So I don't see it, again, I, I, you know, I was saying earlier, like I use that word deleterious as development. I don't see this as being bad because he has the mind and the approach and frankly, the ability to hang in there. But a lot of this is also gonna fall on the team in front of him to do their jobs to help him, talk to one another, if he's out there communicating and he's engaged in the game, he should have success. But he's playing a hell of a team. Boston has the ability to make a lot of guys look bad. Not only the skaters in front of them, but also the goalie that plays behind the skaters.
2: What's your view of what's happened to Carter Hart in Philadelphia and how? what lessons can be learned from that here in this situation?
1: I think it's a lesson about having the right coach. Elaine Vigneault constantly kind of throws him under the bus in the media. Players don't appreciate that. Goaltending is 95% mental. The difference between an elite goaltender and a run-of-the-mill guy or a fringe guy is one goal a game. When you have a coach out there talking the way that he does about Carter Hart, that impacts his ability to make that one extra save. I don't want to throw Elaine Vino under the bus, but this is not the first time that he's handled goaltenders this way. Mark Crawford was the same way. He didn't know how to manage his goaltenders. You can make an argument that maybe Lindy Ruff didn't know how to manage goaltenders. Carter Hart is young, talented, had a good start, and maybe it created improper expectations. And by the way, like when fans do this too, they look at you. Oh, good point. Uh Uh-oh.
2: Oh, poor Chris Baker. He got too worked up.
0: He did. I think it's probably like uh, body heat. You know, he's probably (laughs) thrown off all the equipment, all this technology there in his office from,
2: he he overheated. He has a threshold of how hot his takes can get before his computer freezes. Oh, you froze on us there, Chris. You froze on us when you said the fans do this too, which was probably, you were getting real amped up and then you froze for 30 seconds. 40 seconds maybe so what do the fans do too yeah all Uh, right so
1: no i think the.
0: okay i think you maybe were uh yeah you were recalibrating there uh so now i think you're back with us fully chris Okay. We were we're good? Damn this we're technology. Damn this technology. Hold on. I was going to mention when he, when he said that Lindy Ruff uh, was somebody who had a problem with goaltending is that uh, he would not hide it. You know, he would openly talk about it. You know, he obviously was lucky when he was able to send Dominic Hashik out there for 72 or 75 games. Uh, but then when it came time to figure out what to do with Marty Baran and Bob Asenza, and Mika Noren and, uh, some problems and he would roll his eyes and he'd mention it. It was kind of like the thing that he, he would say is like, if I could just figure that out, I, I'd probably be a complete coach, but yeah, that was, uh, that was one of his, his bug moves. And it was fortunate that during his time with the Sabres, he was blessed uh, to have some, some really good goaltenders that, uh, mitigated his, his ability to screw it up. Chris, are you oh, back off, with us? Off hey, I'm back up. guys.
1: I'm- I'm back. Yeah, I could hear that whole spiel. I don't know what's going on. I, I just shut some windows in case it was me, but I think that we're a little instable in the internet connection. But what I was saying about the fans is the comparison that they'll make to, you know, Carter Hart came up and I think he's an anomaly. He's an exception and not the rule. He came up, you know, out of the WHL went right in basically pretty quickly to the NHL, but he's not the barometer to measure Lukan against. I think maybe a guy like Tristan Jari is if that makes sense, where he paid his dues a little bit longer. He accrued those hours that we've been talking about. So, you know, it's not Carter Hart's not the benchmark. He's still an exceptional goalie and I don't think this is going to derail him in the long term. but his coach there doesn't help. I don't know if you guys caught that, but that was kind of the vibe.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's fun to talk about him. People have been waiting to get a look and it's one of the more common questions that I get from fans is why is he not coming up with all of the different injuries and, volatility that there's been in the crease for the Sabres this season. Let's give this guy a shot. Let's take a look at him. Everybody wants to play with their new toys. And uh, yeah. uh, so they're going to get a chance to look at him. Uh, it'll be, uh, it'll be something extra to uh, to draw us into watching this, this game uh, Friday night. Um, I want to get your thoughts on Don Granado and, and the job that he's done. Um, I'll just give a, a quick uh, thought uh, before I throw it to you, Chris, or, or anybody else wants to chime in too, but, um, I know Matthew's been on board that, uh, go ahead and give the guy the job or somebody else. As long as the list is short, do not open it up because that just, uh, invites, uh, the ability for the Pagulas to make a bad choice. Um, the more options, the more chance that the Pagulas mess it up, uh, is Matthew's take. Um, so I'm in between. I like what the Sabres look like, of course, um, they're much better. They're a lot more more entertaining to watch. But there's also uh, something to be said or a way you have to weigh it. If Ralph Kruger was that bad, as people are now saying, he was awful, he was terrible, then wouldn't anybody make a, a noticeable change? So how much are we overvaluing Don, what Don Granado's done? Or should this be a situation where the Pagulas and Kevin Adams uh, look at this and say, this is uh, this is positive, and let's let's give him the let's give him the job.
1: So I'm never in favor of marrying your slump buster, <laughs> and that's kind of the path that you might be going down here. Now, with that said, I do believe that Don Granado's got a lot going for him in terms of his USA Hockey pedigree, his ability to communicate with Gen Z more of a teaching method. And and by the way, these were some of the things that we said about Ralph Kruger also, not the USA hockey pedigree part, but just his communication method and maybe his, his ability to tailor his message to each individual personality that he's managing. I think that there's a critical component here that's going to come into play where Your point is right, Tim. Maybe the slump buster point is right. I think Matthew's point is right. I don't know what Jonah's point is. And I'd love to hear it, but I think there's a cost component. I think there's a cost component here too, where I'm not convinced that the Sabres are in any position to inflate their budget at the coaching position. If you just look at what they've, how they've managed the organization in the past 12 months and they don't have a lot of revenue coming in the door right now. And it's not like this PSE is one big bucket of money. I do believe that they manage the bills with a separate budget and the, and the Sabres with a separate budget. I think you can pretty much prove that. So if there's a thought that Don Granato is not going to cost as much as some of the other candidates that might be on the market, like a Bruce Boudreau or a Gerard Gallant, I think the decision might be made for you in that regard, knowing that he's here, He's got some traction going with this young group. They seem to be clicking. Guys are saying the right thing. The team's performing fairly well. You're a couple players away from maybe Don Granado really being like this linchpin hire at the end of the day. So I get it where I, I wasn't on board right away, by the way. I think that the market around me or around us was quicker to hitch their cart to Don Granado. But at the same time, I'm a believer in his system and how he coaches hockey and he's very offense oriented. And, um, the guys, more importantly, this young group seems to be bought in. I view this as a
0: situation where you can rationalize. And I know I've said this before, so it becomes a bit of an echo, but, um, for the sake of, of building on this conversation, it's, and this is where I think it gets dangerous is that if you are the Sabres front office, you can take a look at Don Granado as a rationalization that we just, we actually had it right all along. He was on our staff, he was here. We just didn't fire Ralph Kruger early enough. Give us a healthy Jack Eichel and give us a healthy Lena Olmark, and we're contending for a playoff spot if we're able just to, to pull the trigger on Ralph Kruger a little sooner. And it kind of adds to it, it kind of fudges that uh, new voice new leadership while also saying you're maintaining um, consistency and, uh, and there's carryover. And this is a guy who's been working with these guys
1: all along anyway. Hey, if they want to think they're right, let them, I mean, I, you know, I think it's ironic that they didn't make a judgment on Kruger until they realized that they could get fans in the door and start getting some dollars. I think that they would have played that out. They would have stretched that out as long as they could until they had to extend some goodwill to their fan base. And, you know, maybe I'm not understanding the statement that you made, but I mean, if, if however it ends up, if it's, if it's the right move for the group, you know, let, let them rationalize it that way. We're thinking they had the solution all along. You know what I mean? part of me thinks so that they just didn't want to fire Ralph Kruger because of cost. And they only did it when they thought that they could get some dollars coming into the door and Hey, you know, we can talk about the tank that way too. I mean, that tank was all about money. It's all about fan money and ratings for the organization that they, uh, you know, worked with on that one.
3: I wonder too, like what, about what, money? what Tim means by dangerous or what's really the disaster situation here. Cause I think if the Pagoulas are still the owners and, Kim Pagool is still the president and they don't hire, a, you know, somebody to run the hockey operations, a new regime there and they keep Kevin Adams, then they probably should go with the coach that fits that structure. The coach that Kevin Adams is most comfortable with, have an offseason, try to improve the roster in any way you can, and then evaluate how it goes next year. What, what's wrong with, you know, having one more year of seeing how it works with this group?
0: Because you're forfeiting the opportunity to open up a job search. It's the same thing as well. We're comfortable with Kevin Adams. Uh, We're not going to have a job search to find out who our next general manager is. We're not going to listen to what other people have to say or what their ideas are on how they'd run this team from a general manager standpoint. But now, even from a coaching standpoint, Um, I think that you are. If the Pagulas decide to drop the interim tag off Don Granado, especially if it's before the end of the season, maybe they don't even do. It, even if it's, but if they don't even field offers or have coaches reach out to them who are available and say, "I would like to coach your team," then you don't know who you have to choose from. But you no, still can I do think that that's... a year
3: from now, if things don't work out,
0: sure. I mean, I guess
3: it is a little bit but of I... a. You know, we're accepting mediocrity, but it seems like there is some evidence with the contracts, with the way the cap is set up that running it back with this group for one more year, given Don Granado a chance to prove that maybe he is the coach this team needs, this roster, this core group, because it seems like there's some good chemistry. Jack Eichel's not around, but there does seem to be some good chemistry between the coach and the system they're running now and the current players.
0: Oh, I agree with you, Jonah. I, I think that this would be okay. I mean, I, if they wanted to make Don Granado the, the head coach permanently, I, I wouldn't have a problem with that. that. I just wonder for the sake of, you know, the pros and cons of doing that though is are you, are you limiting, are you limiting your options or are you stunting your perspective that you can get from an open, you know, opening up the job to however many candidates?
2: There's an opportunity cost there. You don't know what, what you're missing you don't know and this is a guy who was in the building for that historically terrible stretch of hockey that they played and they had some bad injury luck but they're also a very bad team um you know even with this little rejuvenation that they've had i don't what do you guys think about the idea like can they sell this i think chris has a better temperature on sabers twitter um, certainly than I do, um, because, you know, he has a lot more of those specific fans following him. Has it gotten to the point where they could sell this? Because I do think to an extent that matters, but I guess that's the question too. Can they sell it? And does it matter whether they can sell it? Because like you said, Chris, if it works, that's all that really matters.
1: I think there's the overwhelming opinion that Don Granado is the man for the job. I think there's a lot of folks that see what he's doing without his number one centerman and unlocking Rasmus Dahlin's potential. He's done it largely without his number one goaltender. I think there's a lot of things that the fans are, are excited about, about what Don Granado's done with this group. Now, has it equated to points? No. Did they end that losing streak? Yes. And that, did the team start kind of building and, and, you know, like a snowball going down the hill a little bit in terms of coming together and playing a more exciting style of hockey, by the way, which is also crucial to how the fans see this. They have. So I think there's, there's a lot of things working in Don Granado's favor in terms of fan perception. I think at the end of the day, hiring Don Granado will make sense. Again, it goes back to cost. I can't think of another coach out there in the same salary range that's going to get the results that Don Granado does. And, and that's where I ultimately land. I think it's really a cost thing.
2: Here's another question for you. Is it, you mentioned, you know, the hesitance to marry this guy. Do you have to marry a hockey coach? Cause I think that's the other point that, um, you know, I've seen brought up is like, Oh, you're, you're going out and hiring another guy. You have to commit to another, three to five year rebuild, but how often do we see these hockey teams churn through coaches um, and, you know, find success, even successful coaches getting fired. I mean, if he can get them back to a baseline level of respectability that they've been missing for a decade, um, you don't have to commit to him for five years, even. Um, That's right. Do, do you even have to, to, is hiring him even marrying <clears throat> him in this sport?
1: I think that, you know, they. I, I'm. where Tim and I are very similar about coaching and, and just, you know, hockey department or executive levels is that continuity I do believe is important for any successful organization. Sabres haven't had that, both with the coaching staff and the GM. So I do think if you can marry a coach, I think that would be important. And, you know, again, I, I don't see the risk in hiring Don Granato. The, the irony, to go back to the fan point, is that I I was, I'm in favor of a a gentleman by the name of Nate Lehman, who's a younger progressive USA hockey pedigree guy, coaches at Providence College. He's won a national championship there. There's a lot of NHL coaches that spend time with him in the summer to kind of share concepts and ideas. He's kind of that next big thing. And the, the feedback that I was getting was, you can't get another first time coach. Those same people that were telling me that about Nate Lehman are now on board with Don Granato. Who is a first-time NHL head coach?
2: Well, not anymore.
1: Well, not anymore, <laughs> right? But it's it's funny how that works, right? So now I don't think there's risk here with Don Granado Ultimately, I think that it you know it's kind of like a bird in the hand and tour of the bush type of thing, right? I think that you have a bird in the hand right now. And it's not going to cost you a lot. Roll with it and come to terms and see what makes sense. And the Sabers have paid so many people to not work with them that maybe this is the one where maybe it works. Keep swinging, right? Keep swinging. Maybe, maybe this is their McDermott bean that they walk into. I don't know. You know what I mean? But the results are okay right now. Where I think it's, I think it's going to work for them if they elect to go that route.
2: I really maybe do. he's Freddie Kitchens.
1: <laughs> Freddie Kitchens. How many games did he last?
2: I don't remember, but he was a great interim coach in Cleveland, yeah. and then yeah. they slapped that permanent tag on him. Everybody in Cleveland was fired up because of how good Baker Mayfield looked yeah. in the second half of that season once they got rid of Hugh Jackson, who was essentially the Ralph Kruger of the Browns and they got Freddie Kitchens in there. He's different. He's, you know, and Baker looked great. They hired him and then he didn't even last a full season. I don't think so. um, It could go any number of ways, but you're right. This is one thing the Pagulas have not tried hiring an interim coach Uh, (laughs) and it would cause the cost is, I think, you know, we can have all the debates about the hockey sense and everything else, but I think when it comes down to it, and we were talking about this with Vogel uh, whenever we had him on a, a week or two ago, and that was the question I asked. And I think it's the only, it's, it kind of starts there because if cost is a big factor, then going with the guy that's in your building is probably going to be the best move. You expand the search, you give the appearance of a search, and you lean on, the results that he's had to sell it to a fan base that seems eager to buy it at this point, because um, as Tim said, you're comparing it to Ralph Krueger and how bad this team looked under him. And it, it makes Don Granado look pretty good.
1: The one thing I'll say too, is that there is a wild card in play here is, um, you know, so Kevin Adams should have that desire to cast a broader net just to make, just, you know, confirm the Granado thought the wild card though, is Jason Carmano's who we brought on as an assistant general manager where there's an advantage there to just have another uh, voice in the process, even though he's not the chief decision maker, he's an assistant general manager, but he has relationships around the league. It's just greater insight. They don't have a very large staff. I don't think that's a secret to anyone, but I do believe also that, you know, how does Jason Carmanos and some of the relationships that he has brokered over the years play into the process? Does it change that? you know, cause really his sole responsibilities are going to be more oversight of the scouting departments and the AHL level. And, but there is experience there where he actually has more front office experience, a, a deeper book of, you know, a deeper resume than Kevin Adams does himself. And you almost wonder if there is influence there, even though it's not really in his core duties, you know, but that's just something to think about. I, I go both ways on this guys on the coach thing. I was slow on Granado at first but now I can kind of see where it could go and I'd be okay with it as as a consumer of Sabres hockey someone who works hard during the day and wants to sit down and watch a good product
2: that's where I've landed on I think we started all in that same bucket of he came in and he said good things and that was enough for some people to start man this guy is a breath of fresh air with with what he's saying and then Darlene had a few good games and it was like look at he, he fixed him. Like it's, it's turning around. And I think seeing a bigger body of work has made me sit, you know, say, all right, this is a, a fine hire. You're not hiring him because he said some good things or because he's a good quote or because Darlene had a few good games. There's a bit more of a, a body of work and a sample size to look at and say, all right, add a few pieces. Like Tim said, don't use this as an excuse to say, Oh, everything was fine. Ralph Kruger was screwing it all up. And You know, once our goalie's healthy and once Jack Eichel's back, this thing's fine. I don't think you want to go that far with it, and I don't think they will. They have to recognize that they need to add to this roster and and go into the season with more talent to, uh, you know, be competitive and not be the worst team in hockey again. But um, I don't think hiring this coach signals complacency necessarily. It probably does, though, signal a little bit of – for reality, um you know a little bit of you know pinching your pennies but I think Sabres fans have probably accepted that as a as a reality in the present and short-term maybe even long-term future for this team
1: the, the one thing the last thing I'll say on the coaching piece I mean we can talk about it more but I mean the one thought is I'm looking at the guys that come out of that tunnel in totality so it's the players but also the coaches and how they're performing as a, as a group and it's not just Darlene But I think you have to look at a guy like Casey Middlestad also, who all of a sudden had a little bit of a rebirth here too. And he is now another guy that looks like a critical component to this team's success moving forward. He's garnering, I mean, really, I know he's listed as a second line player. He's playing really that line with Thompson and Asplund. They're playing like first line type. And when you get a Jack Eichel back, how much more effective are those guys going to be in this system with this coach when they get better matchups as they move down the lineup a little bit. And there's a lot to be said there too. It's not just Dalene, and everyone wants to talk about Dalene because obviously he's highly visible first overall draft pick, but I don't want to gloss over Casey Middlestad and just the spike in his development. And he looks like the player that a lot of us or people in town thought he could be. And there's a reason, there's a payoff for not getting sour on a young player just to take it back to Lucan, And also if he has a bad game tonight, there's a payoff for not judging him on what he does in Friday night's game against the Bruins in his first NHL start.
0: What do you make of Middlestats um, inspired play lately?
1: It's just part. I, of I just
0: want to make mention that uh, one of the, when I did my piece where I quoted uh, the anonymous captains um, about what's wrong with the Sabres, this was back obviously when Kruger was, was still the coach, but at that time, one of the captains said, Casey Middlestat has been nothing. I mean, it was, it was a pretty biting quote, and I'm paraphrasing, but the word was, he has been nothing. Um, and he's been
1: something. It goes to show you that players that have been through it still, some, some of them don't know shit, too, about young players developing. That's what it shows you. It didn't and say I he didn't that, say that
0: he will be nothing but it was as that that he at the time it was like this guy's just a wasted that they're wasting this guy and it was accurate
2: at the time. It was accurate, it was accurate, at, the accurate at
1: the time, but it was also you know we're in this you know I it, one of the things that bothers me about young players and kind of the spotlight that gets shined on them is that they don't have time to let it breathe man. There's just no more time anymore and maybe it was because it was on you know it's on their dime the fans are always right. They're the customer. They're paying to watch the team, and if you have a guy that's on the NHL roster, he's not performing. They have that right, but you can't lose sight of that. He still could maybe go and reset in Rochester and have. And he was. You went down to Rochester last year. He had literally two bad games, and then he got it together, and he got better and better with each game.
0: And when the there's another another layer to this, or you know, just one more aspect or wrinkle is that um, that we constantly have to deal with and people like you who deal in the hockey world, especially with prospects are constantly fighting. This is an NFL town. And there's that belief too, is that the casual, the, the big bills fan who's the casual hockey fan sees that this guy's a high first round draft pick and he's gotta be out there now. And so that there's that added element from the fan of just total lack of patience
1: that this first round pick needs to perform right away. And listen, I mean, the fans were right for calling. That's Matthew's point, okay? But there was still time, if you if you have the ability to allow it to happen. I mean, if someone judged me when I was 21 years old, be screwed. I would have never gotten anywhere. You know, it's the same thing for just because your team sucks, it doesn't accelerate human development. That's how I look at Casey Deve- uh, Casey Middlestadt's development. He was brought up. He was thrown into a role way too soon, way over his head, with the O'Reilly fiasco and everything else. And they just bit off more than they could chew. They reset them and it worked. So I'm not saying that, listen, there's nothing worse than a guy like me who never played in the NHL saying that a guy who played in the NHL doesn't know what he's talking about. That's not what I was saying. I'm just saying that we all have to have this bigger picture ability to give a guy time. Just like in any job. Tim, when you took your first job as a journalist, were you as good as you are today? Matthew? Better. Jonah? You need time, Right. It's no different, man. So I think with Middlestad, though, he always was a guy who was highly skilled. He was always very competitive. He always had a fire in his belly to play along the boards. He wasn't a guy who was going to rough you up and play, but he competed. You knew he had all the pieces to become what he's starting to show now. And he's not out of the woods yet either. He still has work to do. This is, what, a 10 or 15-game sample? But it shows you that if this is who he's going to become. Eric, he's looking good, man. And, like, you know, there's a lot of people that didn't give up on him, and I'm glad that those people are rewarded for that. That's that payoff I keep talking about. You know,
3: to kind of flip that switch, though? He's played – because he hasn't gotten that much older from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Something changed in the last month or so. Is it the coaching change, the system, the way they're using him?
1: A little bit of everything. I think it goes back to last summer. You know, he works with Eric Rasmussen, former Sabre, on all of his – you know, he had to learn how to eat better. Young kids that are, you know, they come up, they're, they're dominant just on sheer skill. You get to the NHL, you get to the HL. Everyone's as good as you. Everyone's as fast as you, and a lot of people are stronger than you. And he had to learn. You know, he had to learn. I think it's, a, it's just part of the process that sometimes you have to, you know, get beat up in order to get better and realize how much work you actually need to do. I think there's a lot of that that goes on. They always say, like, you know, it's the people that work hard when no one's watching. I think he did that a lot in the summer. I don't know if it was a switch so much. It was just part of the process. And I saw it last year when he went down to Rochester, and it was a shame when the season got cut off when he did, because I think he was about to come back up. And I, I think a lot of the negative things that were said about Casey Millsett wouldn't have been said if he had came back up and had an opportunity to show the growth in his game that and the progress that he made in that brief stint in Rochester. I truly believe that with him. And it's easy to say now, by the way, and I realize that.
2: What are your general much, thoughts? Oh, go ahead, Matthew. Well, I was just gonna say it's very much like Tim and his first journalism job because Tim couldn't do pull-ups either, you know, at first. And <laughs> never <not> could. <laughs> once he started working on it and could do some pull-ups, his copy really improved. I don't do you know. Agree can, with can, that
1: do you agree with that whole assessment? Well, yeah. Of I mean,
2: can he well I it's a I was, you know, being silly, but can he do pull-ups now? Because I, you know, you can say what you want, like a pull-up is not going to make you a better hockey player, but like not being able to do a pull-up as an elite NHL prospect speaks to what you're talking about, like eating properly, taking your strength training seriously. I mean, it's one pull-up. We're not asking him to be the pull-up champion. Um, Like you said, he didn't need to do pull-ups to be as good as he was until he got to be 18 years old, but in the NHL, you need to have a little more something to you. The willingness is one thing, the body to do it is another.
0: After he's been in the league for about six years, I would like to ask him, uh, do you regret not passing on the pull-up? I mean, he had to know, or at least if if he has an advisor or something, he would have at least like tried out, like, let's see how I'm going to do on the pull-up. And just, you know, that picture
2: is terrible. Uh, It's going
0: to follow him around for the rest of his career. I'm sure his
2: buddies text that to him constantly. Uh,
0: Let's hope, I mean, for his for his sake and for Sabers fans' sake, that it becomes the Tom Brady combine photo Right. <laughs> uh, that people can look back on and laugh, as opposed to how the hell did the Sabers ever draft this guy? Um, but we're seeing but think, it now. We're seeing what we're seeing what captured uh, the Sabers' imagination when they drafted him so early.
2: I think it speaks to Chris's point. Is like this guy was physically, and it's what you know, Tim says about how people forget that, you know, your top 10 pick in hockey might need some time. Like there's usually only a few guys that jump right in and especially a guy that clearly physically wasn't ready to play against grown men um, quite yet. You have to both get your body ready to do it, but also learn how to, because he has the body that he has. He's not going to be a big, strong, bruising player, but it's about finding that middle ground of saying, all right, i can there are things i can do to become stronger but then, to chris's point learning how to play within that as well saying all right i'm not i'm not going to be a, a banger i'm not going to like you know be a huge player but there's ways to learn there's stuff that works at at the u and there's stuff that works you know at the nhl level and i think he's starting to figure out what that is and he's got talent obviously he's got a you know vision for the game and um you know good hockey sense so it's it's fun to see it kind of start to come a little bit more full circle for him when it looked like it had a chance to go off the rails
1: and and I don't want to like I just want to be clear too okay this isn't a victory lap for myself or any others that didn't lose the belief that he would become the player that a lot of people thought he could be I know it sounds like that it was just really disappointing a lot of the things that people were saying about him, and and how quick we are to, we're we're fascinated with tearing people down and giving up on people, and and it was just really disappointing, you know, like that when your Twitter mentions are full all summer about how Middlestat's a bust and all this other stuff. People said the same thing about Sam Ryan you know, and it's just like we
0: well it's, history it's, is right there though. Hate watching of of the team. It's that the fans have gotten to the point where it's so toxic where the joy that they get, or I guess maybe the payoff that they get, joy is not the right word, but the payoff that they get is talking about how shitty everything is and looking for the next example of how shitty it is. And so it almost becomes, you know, it was what the bills dealt with during their 17 year playoff drought. So I think that people are more eager to find the thing that, that just is one more example about why it sucks to be a Sabres fan uh, it's easier to do that than it is to have some patience or look for the silver lining, or maybe the thing that might be the positive thing that might be coming around the corner.
1: Go ahead, Jonah.
3: Well, that seems like a lot of the culture around the team and not to pick on Tim, but it seems like you kind of either like wallowing that yourself or making, yeah, I think you like shining that mirror on the fans for that, that it's, a lot of fans seem to rather just wallow in the Sabers' defeat than actually – maybe not rather, but they seem more comfortable wallowing in the Sabers' lack of success than figuring out, you know, can this team be successful and enjoying the little successes that they might have along the way and improving uh, here and now. Yeah, that's, that's what fans ahead. are all
0: about. And then when they start winning, it'll the, sw- the switch will be flipped and there won't be any gray area. It will go right from everything sucks – we suck. Look how bad we are, and kind of having that as the, their entertainment, almost like that's their laugh. To you cannot say anything bad about our team. It,
3: I mean, you think of all the things.
2: That. That's what happens. Exactly right. They that's would what I'm celebrate saying. I mean, their
3: Pro Bowl punter, Brian Mormon. Right. Even if everything else was on fire around them, it was like, hey, at least we're number one at kickoff returns.
2: Uh, I don't this, know.
0: I don't know about that.
2: This is kind of why I always ask the question of pretty much every, you know, Waro, Vogel, Chris, when we have them on is I think what happens is there's people who look at it and it's easier to just wallow in everything that sucks than say because it, it sometimes it seems like there is no path forward. And it's why I ask every one of these, like, what is the reason for optimism? What can be fixed? And in how long? Because people don't look at it. I think even in football, it's so short term that There's so much parity that you can think, okay, this team's not good this year, but a few free agent moves and the right picks, and they're going to be good next year. I think a lot of Sabres fans look and say they're not good now, and I don't know when they're going to be good or how they're going to get good, and that creates, you know, some of that attitude too.
1: I think that the the tank did create like heightened expectations for all these young players. When you literally take two years off to get an 18-year-old hockey player it creates expectations that every young hockey player that comes in has to be that next big thing. And I think it throws off your expectations, and I'm not going to fault the fans on that though because like I said, they're consumers, the customer's right. And like even like the the like they're just fans are just looking for enjoyment in their lives. And if wallowing in the failure gives them the enjoyment, that's what they're going to do. And I'm never going to really like be mad at them for that, even if it bugs me. Because I know what people are gonna say, oh, you're prote- you're like the den mother of the prospects. Well, it's like, no, we've seen success come when they're 22, 23, and sometimes 24. It doesn't have to happen at 18. There is no cookie-cutter approach. There, it's not an assembly line where every human develops at the same rate. And that's been my whole point all along. So again, this might come up with, you know, what happens if Dylan it happened with Tyler Myers, won the Calder, maybe took a step back. Took him a little while. He's still a serviceable player. Happened with him here. But it's just, you know, humans are different, man. Everyone's different. They develop at different rates. And sometimes you have to see a bigger picture, not just crush every young person because they're not Connor McDavid out of the box, you know. And that's kind of what I thought was going on in Middlestad. And that's why I was disappointed, Tim, in, in your piece when maybe I perceived it incorrectly when a former player – a former player should have seen it, but maybe you're right. Maybe they're just saying he's been nothing – but that player has to own that too, by the way. Coach can't always just bring it out of you. The player's got to own it. Was that. An
0: indict, it was an indictment of the fact that the Sabres organization is, is killing this guy. You know, that they should have. And in fact, I think that the, the comment included that the Sabres should not have, should have advised him to stay at Minnesota, that don't, you know, don't bring him in. Like they should not, and that, that they rushed him and, and there was nothing to show for it at the time. Um,
1: so I was wrong about that, though, too, by the way. I was for Casey Middlestad coming out of school. I was for him being plugged into the lineup. We just watched Nico Heischer the year before play first and second line minutes, number one PP with Taylor Hall in Jersey and do really well. And I said, if Nico Heischer can do that, so can Casey Middlestad. I was wrong about that, about how quickly he can go. But I think the difference between me and some of the other people I'm talking about is that I didn't, I didn't want to lose sight of the bigger picture. Maybe it's hard-headed. Maybe it's because I had Casey Middlestadt ranked third in his draft class. Maybe there is some of that. And you know what I mean? But I was wrong about how quickly he could ascend, but still didn't lose sight of what he could be. And I'll take ownership of that. I'm I'm always very forthcoming with that and admitting I was wrong about Middlestad.
2: I think it's more difficult too for the to keep the big picture in mind and like you said, realize that a prospect might take until 23, 24 to be what he's going to be when you don't have established NHL talent winning you games most other fan bases of good teams don't pay this close of attention to the nhl draft because they say well those guys aren't going to be in the nhl until three three more years and then all of a sudden some guy pops up out of nowhere and they're like wow this guy's really good like when did we get this guy oh he was a first round pick a few years ago like what do you know about that whereas here at least since i've been here got here in 2014 it seems like every first round pick is immediately supposed to be Oh, this, this will be, you know, you just start listing off the names of these guys that are going to automatically look at all this talent and and they'll be in the league in one or two years. And this will be a roster to contend with missing the fact that you're not going to hit on every first round pick. You might not even hit on half of them. Uh, And like you said, it takes time, but you can probably take it all the way back to the tank and ripping, you know, ripping apart a roster of any serviceable, NHL talent that can help you contend in the short term while young players figure out who they are and you know realize you know their their development and their potential.
1: It's all over the place. There is no blueprint because you know the fans rightfully will question why it should take multiple years for a guy that you draft eighth overall. But like, let's look at Rasmus Dahlin. He's in his third year right now. Final year was entry level contract. Came and played right away. He's just starting to scratch the surface if you think about it in terms of consistently being a play driver. Victor Hedman was first overall. I don't want to say it took him five years. If you look at some of the underlying statistics, maybe it took him three. That's a first overall player. Again, out of the box. It's all, it's different. It's just, there's patience and history is there for all of us to see, but a lot of us choose to not look at it. It's right in front of our eyes.
0: I think too, uh, a good, a good portion of the doom scrolling or hate watching of the Sabres and you guys have all mentioned it, the tank, going back to that and the poison that that was, Um, not necessarily the tank in and of itself, but what it wrought in terms of all the rhetoric is that you had so many people who built up an opinion, and every little development that they see with the team is founded upon what was my opinion on the tank and how that evolved, or whether it was good, bad, or how they screwed it up, or that it was the right thing to do and they still – uh, botched it, whatever it is, everything is that, you know, a phrase that I've been, I've used a little too much recently, but a feather in that nest of, all right, there's one more thing. So the people who are against the tank were they, well, middle stat sucks, or even if you're for the tank, it might be, yeah, well, just one more reason how they, they, they got it right with Eichel, but they, they've, you know, whatever. So anyway, just wanted to mention that real quick and I, I don't want to hold you all day uh, here, Chris, uh, uh, but Hi, man. Let's yeah. roll it right into the next first round pick uh, and not who they're going to draft, but it looks like the Sabres are going to have a top three pick. Right. Um, yeah. What can we expect? I know that the, 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 assistant general manager, Jason Carmanos has just been hired the scouting staff, such as it is. Uh, the fact that you have a third overall pick, what is your, what's your take? I, I don't really know how, what, what, what noun I want to use here, but what's your opinion, your overview of drafting third overall or better and not having the eyes or the analysis that you would want, especially a rookie general manager to have with the, while holding on to
1: this kind of ammunition? Bizarre year, first of all. Hard to get out and see prospects. Now, you know, my nephew's playing in the USHL right now. There are 20 teams at every game so far that he's been at, you know, that he's been a part of that team. So I know that scouts are out there. They're watching players live. I don't believe the Sabres are very much, but yet yeah, at the same time, I think they can, they can gather a lot of information and, you know, I, I think that this draft has some good talent. You don't need to be first overall this year. If you are third, that's fine. I think you're going to get a really good player. And maybe there's a mistake to be made in the top three too, by the way, where maybe you can, you have an opportunity to let another team make that mistake. It's a cop-out, but it does exist as a possibility. I think you have (laughs) – like there's a great defenseman, and I know Sabres fans don't want to hear this, a 6'5 defenseman that if the draft was today and I had the first overall pick, I'd probably take him. Owen Power, he's got a great name from the University of Michigan, played in the USHL, I'm a USHL honk or wonk, we can talk to Rodak about which one is right there. but I think that he's a special player. I can make a case for him being on, you know, I, I might be on, um, an outlier on this. I think I can put him on his own tier potentially because of his size and his skating. Um, what, th- there's three guys from the university of Michigan that are probably going to go top 10 this year. You're going to get a good player, but I think ultimately what's going to happen with the Sabres is, you know, you're not going to trade the pick. I, I don't even want to think about right now what they're going to do with Eichel. I'm assuming that he's part of the, the solution still moving forward. You know, you're going to keep the pick. You're going to pick a player. And you might get a guy that isn't going to come in, you know, right away. Kind of like the dovetails and what we just talked about. I mean, you know, there's this kid Dylan Gunther out in the Western Hockey League right now. He's just a really gifted goal scorer, natural goal scorer. If you can get a winger like that, I I could make a case for him also. And um, there's some gritty, energetic, high motor. It's It's NFL draft season, so I'm going to use some NFL draft terminology. There's a high motor centerman from the University of Michigan, Matt Beniers, I really like also those are three players right now that I'd be looking at in the hopper for, for, you know, if the Sabres are in that top three, if you were asking about players specifically, but I can see it going. I I wasn't
0: really, I mean, it's great to have that overview because I don't know that stuff. You rattle that right off the top of your head. I think it's fantastic information for the fan listening to this, but so thank you. And that's, but yeah, I was asking more just in a, you know, Uh, approach to the draft. Right. And I talked, we talked to John Vogel about this a couple of weeks ago, you know, at the NHL draft, when you meet and you get together at the arena and you have that big table, who's even going to be sitting at the Sabres table. I mean, who's going to be given, who's going to be shoving notes in front of Kevin Adams about, okay, this is the guy who these guys, these next five guys are available. Here's our short list. Uh, Here's what we know about them or the or that. Let's say they're presented with a trade that involves players. Um, who's going to help Carmanos and Adams digest the, any trade proposal? I, you know, I'm answering this in my mailbag, uh, it's, it's not going to post until Monday, but, um, you know, my, do, do the other 31 general managers look at Kevin Adams and see a mark like he is, he's going to just be getting inundated with, with proposals for that third overall pick, because people are going to say, hell, maybe he'll take one. I don't
1: know. Let's just start
0: throwing stuff at him. And who, yeah, helps they're gonna him, test him. who helps him. Yeah. who
1: helps him? you know, call through all this stuff. It's a good question. That's a good question. And well, sorry for misreading because I hear you that no one wants to hear me rattle off about this. So I get that. So no, I
0: do. I thought it was great because I don't know anything about the draft coming up and a, a def- six, five defenseman, I, you know, sign me up. I mean, if the guy's that good and, and, uh, and he can do all the things that you need that guy to
1: do, then yeah, bring him in. Yeah. I hear a draft and I just default because I just love that shit. But Jonah, what were you going to say?
3: Well, I was going to say, and maybe you're the wrong person to ask this because you are thinking about the draft 365 days a year. But what's the problem with trading the pick if you get a good offer and maybe you can bring in some 23-, 24-, 25-year-old players that fit with Jack Eichel in this core and try to compete for a playoff spot next year?
1: Oh, I think everything's on the table, okay? And I think everything should be on the table. I just look at what's in the system right now, and there's clear need for a, uh, an elite player at virtually every position, including goaltending, get another one. Okay. And there is a goalie that's probably going to go top 10, by the way. But I think that um, to answer your question, Tim, no, it's going to be, it's a small group, man. I mean, it's, it's a pretty empty hallway there at lunchtime at the arena right now. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I think Jason Carmanos, that's one of the reasons why I was critical for Kevin Adams to make that hire quickly and to get some help and to get guys that have connections around the league that have relationships that maybe Kevin Adams currently doesn't have. Um, because you know, Carmanos has been in the business for a while. So I think I think that's really where Jason Carmanos is gonna play a big part. I don't think it's gonna be Matt Pagula and Terry Pagula and you know, Kim. I mean, they'll probably be around, but um, <laughs> you know, I think there will be other else. I mean like Tristan Musser, who's a scouty, you know, he was with the Chicago Steel and the USHL. I mean, he's out there. I think he's gaining a lot of insight on a lot of these young players. I think an amateur scout like that is gonna be critical. And I, I believe. I believe Kevin's Kevin Devine is still around. Is he not?
0: He's he's Rasputin. He, uh, he's always around, (laughs) right. He'll be, he'll be like, uh, like, I'm forgetting the name of the guy who was around forever. And he was eventually, he was like delivering the mail in the office. And then he was doing the goal horn at the games.
1: Do you remember who that was? Oh, I don't know. There's been a bunch of them like Porky Palmer, but no, I think, um, (laughs) no, but here's the thing with Kevin Devine though. I will say this, Kevin Devine, has always been really good at knowing what team is on what player and mapping out how the draft is going to go leading up to this. He's always been really good at that. And just a skill like that is going to be pretty invaluable to a guy who's new to the space as calling the shots, you know. And it's not – I mean, you saw the video when they were doing the virtual draft in October – there weren't many people in the room. The draft table is going to look like that again. And I think they actually had a pretty pretty decent draft. They made a good trade-up to get Paterka. They got their guy they wanted, you know, in the first round. Maybe the fans didn't like it. You know what I mean? So I think that it's going to, look, it's going to function very similarly. It's going to be a very small brain trust, making some pretty big decisions.
2: Sorry, that's the witching hour for my dogs. Sorry. I think what Tim is saying is that you need to clear your schedule and keep your phone on because you might have to be at that table. Hey, this is my nephew's
1: – yeah, hey, listen, I'm ready to go for that, okay? Like, I'm all on board. This is my nephew's birth year. He's not a draft, you know, he's not going to be picked in the children. But a lot of these players we've seen for many years, you know, just watching the tournaments and things like that. I mean, international tournaments in the United States is a great year for U.S.-born players. This is probably the most prepared I've been for a draft they should call me actually,
2: which is actually, you know, says something considering, like you said, it's probably the least prepared. A lot of scouts have been because of what a weird year it's been. Um, and because of, you know, weird schedules and not seeing guys in person, not, not talking about saber scouts. I'm talking about around the league. There's probably guys that don't feel as prepared as they normally do. And here you are saying you're as prepared as you've ever been. I think if you want to drop your cell phone number here, um, we'll open it up to all the NHL general managers that listen. They
1: have it. They know, they know how to get hold of me,
0: but it's plainly evident that the Sabres are going to be the least prepared team based on manpower. And the fact that they, they didn't have, they haven't been scouting the entire globe like other teams have.
1: Well, here's the thing that's going on right now. So in three days, the IIHF world under 18 championship begins down in Texas. If you see some of the Sabers' brain trust around when the Sabers are playing, and they're not there, then you then you have a bigger issue. I would expect them to be there. Uh, you know, every every country, most of the top prospects are going to be there, except for Owen Power. He won't be there. William Eklund from Sweden. He won't be. There. See, I'm doing it again. I'm gonna stop. Some most of the top prospects will be there.
2: He's making up names: um, Owens and Dylan's and Williams. And just. <laughs>
1: But I would expect, so any any perception that maybe they haven't been on the ball because they haven't been getting in-person viewings, the playing field should be level a little bit if they can get down to Texas and get some firsthand viewings of, you know, I could see their whole roster of players that they pick coming from this tournament for the most part, you know, except for me for the first overall one.
0: Well, Chris, thanks for doing this. Jonah Bronstein had to split. He's on assignment tonight, so he couldn't stay for the end. But uh, let's, uh, let's, let's produce this podcast. Let's package it up. So the folks can maybe listen to it before UPL's NHL debut and uh, listen to what's what.
1: I hope that kid does well, man. I really do. Just for his confidence and just for the sake of the organization to get him going, you know, to just push off from the dock in a positive manner at the NHL level, I think it would be nice to see. I'm always looking for a good story. I, I, the last thing I'll say is I, I, I tweeted uh, last week. I was like, it's just delightful watching State have success. And most people got yeah. it, but there were a couple people that were like, you know, you're an asshole. Like, there's nothing delightful about this season. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, I still look at, like, the individual stories. You're always looking for, like, a good story. Sure. You know, and that's kind of how I always approach it with this team. And maybe I am the den mother of these kids. I don't know. But, no, thanks for having me.
0: I mean, Sorry, wasn't I Dylan Cousins fought somebody, and that was that was uh, that was, you know, considered front page news for about three days. I mean, yeah. Casey Middlestead performing for a couple of weeks is should be considered
1: delightful. Think of where Dylan Cousins is going to be in two years. He's going to be a beast, man. But again, I can go on and on about these guys. So I'm gonna, I'm going to put a governor on myself. But no, thank you very much for having me. It's always good to catch up. Sorry, I misread a couple of your questions. It's been a long week. You didn't misread any of my questions. So, uh, but no, this was always good, man. It's always
0: good catching up with you guys. I know who I'm talking to. <laughs> I know what I'm going to get. I ask sure, these questions do. so that way we get—we just get a bunch of information. We talk. We've been talking for an hour and fifteen minutes. Have we really? Yeah. Holy cow! Well, I
1: apologize to your listeners, then. <laughs>
0: Anybody you would have to apologize to checked out. So they didn't hear that. That's true. Uh, anybody who's made it this to far is, is thanking us and loving every minute of it.
1: It's always a pleasure, gentlemen.
2: What was that, Matthew? I'm sorry, I stepped on you. I'm saying a lot of the people you'd be apologizing to, you could probably just apologize to them in person. <laughs> All That's those right. listeners.
0: All right. That's I'm true. sure
2: we'll cross paths.
0: Um, I might be thirsty this weekend.
2: Tipping the cap to you. My gear came in as well. My Sioux Falls, my Sioux Falls gear.
1: Last thing I'll uh, say, Tim. Oh, the best gonna, junior hockey. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead.
0: I was just gonna muse. I was gonna say out loud, I wonder if Rio Salado has a hockey team.
1: <laughs> I don't I think, think I so. Have
2: my gear I here.
1: Yeah, so the best junior hockey promotion of all <clears> time. <throat> This team here, the Sioux Falls Stampede, for one night a year, they become the Sioux Falls Fighting Wiener Dogs. No kidding. How awesome is that? That's, That's an awesome. incredible promotion. They rebrand for a night. Just one game. I think it was just one game. And yeah. we also
2: got a customized jersey.
1: Oh, for Huddy. So they do they do wiener dog races. It's incredible. It's a great promotion. Ice.
2: Now he gets yeah. one that says. Did he roll out
0: a red carpet or is it on the ice? I don't think it's on the ice.
2: Now I just I need one on that ice. says Baker on the back. What numbers is Jackson rocking in Sioux Falls?
1: He is born March 3rd, 2003. He is 33 is his number. It's a good goalie number.
2: Patrick Waugh thought so.
1: That's
2: right.
0: All right, boys, thanks for doing this. My thanks also to Jonah Bronstein, who couldn't stay until the end. But uh, thank you for listening to Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK. Tim Graham and Friends is brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. CTBK over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond.